Since March 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been developing content monthly, weekly, and daily for the business of pharmacy. With more than 25 different podcast channels, more than 1 million downloads, and 30-plus participating pharmacists, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is the global leader in podcasting for the pharmacy professional. Find all of our podcast channels by going to pharmacypodcast.com forward slash shows. Hey, pharmacy owners out there, thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Running a pharmacy business is not easy. The obstacles for succeeding today are tough. When I came across a product that gives pharmacy owners an edge, I get excited. That's why I want to tell you about the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack. When pharmacies dispense these pen needles, they see consistently higher revenue and higher margins. With the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, you're doing more for your patients and more for your pharmacy's bottom line. Check it out for yourself. Go to UltiGuardSafePack.com forward slash podcast. That's UltiGuardSafePack.com forward slash podcast. And let us know what you think. And as always, thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system which supports our independent community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. It is so great to be back guest hosting the PBM Reform Podcast. I'm pleased to introduce my two guests today, Ms. Jackie Toledo. She's Florida State Representative from District 60, which is the Tampa area of Florida. And then Scott Newman, President of Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. Welcome both of you to the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me and to talk about one of my favorite issues, um, PBM reform. Oh, good. <laughs> we love hearing when one of our legislators thinks that PBM reform is important. And, and we're really excited to talk to you today about that because you've been doing some exciting work in Florida and we're anxious to talk about that. But I thought it would be great if we first just uh, learned a little bit about you. I, I know from the time I've been able to spend with you, some of the things you're up to. You're a legislator, you're a mom, but tell us a little bit about you. Um, yeah, so I'm a civil engineer by trade and I was uh, transportation engineering is what I normally do. Um, and I got elected to the Florida House in 2016. So about four years ago, and I've served uh, two terms and heading into my third term after re-election. I have five kids, um, three boys and two girls, ages 9, 11, 13, 15, and then 21. So I'm very busy at home and ran for office to make you know our world a better place. And I'm a problem solver, so I thought we needed people like with that type of thought process, engineering um, problem-solving type process in the house. We actually only have um, two engineers, and I'm the only PE, which is professional engineer, in the entire legislature. So 
I, I'm very proud of that. But um, wow, my, yes, you should be. <laughs> yeah, my my kids though are amazing through all of this, and I've learned so much um, through this process, and they've helped me tremendously too. That's great. They must be really proud. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's really great. And I can say I'm the oldest of five kids. So I was in awe, I'm still in awe of my mother all these years later. So I, I can tell you, you know, we all appreciate our mom, especially when she's doing as much as you are. So thank you right away for all that you're doing for your community. You, um, you are a PBM reform advocate, and I'd love to know how you got involved in this cause. So like most legislators, you know, we have our expertise, as I mentioned, mine is in transportation, but I got put on the health care committee uh, very early on, and I didn't even know any of the acronyms, actually, so learning from scratch, but I had a situation happen with my daughter. Um, I went to the pharmacy. My doctor asked me to get a prescription for her ADD medication, and as I was walking out, he told me that uh, medication would cost me about $25 depending on my insurance or $0 basically. So I go to the pharmacy um, and they proceed to tell me that it was going to be upwards of $480 for the prescription. I said, no, I have this coupon. And they told me that they couldn't take the coupon. I said, well, can you call somebody and see if you can take it? Because they told me, the doctor told me it was $25. Anyways, long story short, I waited about an hour and a half for them to finally accept it. And I had asked them, what, who did you end up talking to? And they said, our PBMs. And that, that's when I started asking, what is a PBM? And what do they have to do with my health insurance? And, you know, I started asking the questions. I started hearing more about PBMs and um, then hearing stories from people. And I thought, this is something we need to change. And I felt that what I learned was, you know, the, the intent, the original intent was good. But since then, there has been so many abuses with PBM. So I wanted to cut back, make there be transparency at the very minimum. That's like 10 years ago, what we should have done from the beginning. But, you know, then you see the pushback and you wonder why. So I've been learning a lot. I've read a lot of books. Um, I've read a lot of articles and I've seen what other states are doing or trying to do, but this is going to take a huge effort and um, a lot of time as well. So I'm curious, when you first started learning about this, you know, what, what were your impressions then as compared to now, you know, because you've been on a pretty steep learning curve and you've, you've really taken it on like a champion. Thank you. My impressions were like, how do people not know about PBMs? Um, you know, everyday people. Um, you know, most people know about the health insurance and the co-pays and things like that, but we're blaming pharmaceutical companies for a lot of the increases in cost. And, and it's easy to blame them. Say, oh, this drug costs more money because the pharmaceutical companies are greedy. That's what people say. So you believe it. As everyday citizens, you believe that. And then when you start to peel the onion, you start to realize, no, that cost of drug hasn't changed. Um, something else is contributing to the increase in costs. So you start to realize, well, why can't we change that? And that's when I started to think that there was something bigger. Um, and why are they fighting this so much? Because there's a billion dollar industry behind this. And the fact that 
PBMs don't produce anything. They don't, they haven't invented anything. They're a middleman that's making a lot of money. And you can have middlemen, but they cannot be taken advantage of, you know, everyday people. And that's what's happening right now. So you got to work in Florida last year and wrote a bill. I'd love to know, and I think people listening would love to know about the bill and how it's been going, what's been happening there. I know, you know, COVID kind of got in the way of some things, but uh, what's been happening in Florida? So I decided to take this issue on and not just deal with one of the many bills that have been filed in the past. I thought, let's uh, have a comprehensive bill that addresses everything so that that way they don't find another loophole. Like we solve the problem once and for all and that, you know, cost of drugs will start to uh, decrease instead of increase. So my bill uh, would have uh, prohibiting spread pricing, which um, everyone here probably knows what that is, but it would also prohibit um, patient steerage, which we know that is a huge problem and should not be allowed. We would require negotiated rebates and discounts by PBMs from pharma to go to the patient at the point of sale. And we would prohibit bad and anti-competitive business practices and require PBMs to act as a fiduciary. And this was, I forgot how many pages it ended up being, but it was a huge, very comprehensive bill. It really shook a lot of people. They said that it was going too far. So I wanted to, you know, start to negotiate what can you accept right now? And then we would move the needle. That was my whole point was let's start moving the needle and, and start to reduce the cost of drugs. So, but that's not what happened, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So you, um, you came up against the opposition, I know, pretty, pretty hard out there. I, I'm curious about what that experience was like if you were ready for them I, I we hear a lot of stories about you know coming up against the opposition and it's everything from wow we had no idea to oh that wasn't any big deal <laughs> but i'm curious what it was like when you started to meet opposition for your bill so everyone was telling me how extreme they would be um like it would be like dealing with the mafia so i started getting nervous i started going what how could they be so powerful, the opposition? Um, but then I started to realize when you are messing with a billion dollar industry and there are a lot of people making money off of this, they don't wanna see any changes. They want to delay, 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 and continue to um, profit from, you know, from drugs and from people. So, um, but I did get really nervous when I started to see the pushback and to see the politics. And I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Um, I have a lot of questions, of course, but that doesn't mean you stop fighting. You just have to write, ask the right questions until people finally say, you know what? Transparency is not gonna be that bad. Of course it's not. I mean, that's what we all try to fight for, you know, is being transparent. You have it in different industries. Why don't we have it in the prescription um, supply chain industry. So I will continue to at the very minimum get that. But I mean, the steerage, it's so, uh, in other, for example, real estate, you can't have steering. Um, lawyers can't have steering. You can't steer to your own MRI, for example, can't own an MRI and then steer people to it. That would be illegal. So why are we letting 
pharmacies do that. I feel that it's um, just a matter of time and um, educating, you know, new legislators. We have term limits in Florida, so that's part of the hurdle is that, like me, four years ago, didn't know what PBM stood for, nor did I know, you know, these other acronyms in healthcare, which there's millions, but I had to learn from scratch. So now I only have four years left. So in four years, if I don't get that done, I would either have to move to the Senate, keep fighting there, or someone else has to take the reins. And, and we'll see if they want to continue fighting, because, you know, like you said, there's a lot of opposition on this because so much money is being made. How do you think this could become a winnable fight? I mean, you've talked to so many pharmacy owners and patients and people who've been affected by this. I'm really encouraged that you see, you're optimistic, I'm optimistic, I'm encouraged by that, but what do you think has to happen for this to be winnable at the state level? So I believe it's on messaging and informing and educating people. So because like I mentioned term limits, um, the people that have the knowledge are A, the lobbyists and B, the staff. So the staff who has been there for years through many different representatives, they have their own views on what PBMs do, what their process is, or what they, their purpose is in the entire supply chain. They may like them, um, but I think what we need to do is educate the legislators coming in. So even before they come in at the campaign level, when they're running and you have two people running against each other or five people, find out what their position is on PBMs. And they're all gonna say, I don't know anything about it. And then asking them, do you think the prescription drugs costs are increasing? Do you think there's a problem with the cost of drugs? They're all going to say yes, of course. Healthcare is a huge part of our budget and um, and of the problems that people have. And so you start to educate them so that when they are elected, if they are elected, they they start to have an opinion. Already some bias on there's a middleman that's taking a lot of the profit and it's causing an increase in these dr drug costs. So we have to figure out a way. So when I file a bill, they've already know the terms. That's how I need your help. Because then I go there, I have 60 days to, you know, teach people. It took me longer than that to learn about PBMs. So it is just because of the lack of time that we have. So that's really our biggest enemy. And they take advantage of that. The PBMs take advantage of the, that time that we don't have. And so, Jackie, what advice do you have for people who are working on this issue in their own home states as a legislature? What is it that you most would like them to know about what it's like for you or how they can develop a relationship with you or what they can or even should be doing maybe a little bit better where they are? So um, I think for any, any of the bills that I work on is trying to get community support, constituent support. When you have that, you talked about grassroots. That's really how you create change. And when you start to educate maybe the businesses in your district. So if you are in Melbourne, find out if the businesses know about PBM. So go to the chamber and say, look at your health insurance plan. And then look at the trends over the last 10 years. Do you have a PBM in your plan? How much are they getting paid? How much do you know about them? Getting information and getting the businesses to start to complain 
and you get the groundswell, that's how you make change because then they're going to contact their representative, not me asking a colleague of mine, hey, vote on this bill. It's their constituents saying, hey, look, do something about this prescription drug cost. Do something about PBMs and all these different people, um, businesses and um, constituents are calling to complain. You know, when you have it where the only people that are complaining are independent pharmacists, they think, oh, it's it's a, a internal battle. This is a turf war. That's not what this is. This is not a turf war. You, we are creating monopolies here and you see it developing right before your eyes. So if we don't do something, we're gonna have two. And when you have two competitors, they're gonna dictate the prices and you're gonna increase the prices, not decrease prices. So it's anti-competitive and it's anti-Republican, really. We want more competition. We want accessibility, which we don't have if now, you know, CVS and Walgreens are the only ones participating in the market share. That's great. Thank you. What's next for Florida? What's next for you? Um, the next steps for me is get reelected. And then when I get back to Tallahassee, file the bill again, file it maybe an even better bill based on, you know, what is happening around the country, maybe add things, maybe take things away. Um, but just con continue to educate my colleagues on what we need to do and just don't give up. But we should be doing that right now. We shouldn't let up on letting people know about PBMs and what they're doing. So just because we're not in session, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be um, advocating and, and informing others on what needs to happen and the changes that need to be made. Great. Thank you so much, Jackie. It has been a pleasure having you on the PBM Reform Podcast. Thank you so much. We wish you a lot of success and we appreciate you so much for everything that you're doing for your constituents, for the state patients and for their pharmacies. Thank you so much. I appreciate being on the show. And Mr. Scott Newman, president of Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. It is very nice to talk with you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you again for having me. I know we, we never talk. We, we never get to connect. So <laughs> <laughs> and by that, we mean we talk. I love how we get to share our thoughts, out, our thoughts out loud. That's usually what happened on a private conversation on this way. <laughs> right. right, exactly. So we've just heard everything that Jackie had to say. And I think, I think my first thought is just based on your experience, because, you know, in your position, you see what is happening in the different states. So just based on what she's just said, what are your thoughts about Florida and, and what's been happening there? Well, I really have to commend her because she's fighting a huge uphill battle and everything she said about education and, and time and term limits, I mean, none of those things work, you know, work with you. They're all working against you on an already very difficult uphill, you know, education and battle um, against very well-funded entities that have had the ears of the legislatures for a long time before independent pharmacists got to a point where we were desperate enough that we had to engage at this level. So, you know, we've got catching up to do there, but to have somebody like her and, and her, her, you know, intelligent um, to be able to sort through the crap and see that, you know, we aren't there representing just independent pharmacies, we're representing our patients. Prior to this, we were taking care of our patients. And until we got to a point where 
we can no longer afford and risk not being there for our patients. We've, you know, redirected to where we have to stand up and, and, and shout for our patients um, on a very complex topic that we very much understand. And so our challenge, just like hers, is, is getting that message that it's not just about independent pharmacists, it's about your constituents and your patients as well. And the status quo is why we're here. It's just not working. It's going to put patients' um, lives at risk. And it'll put communities at risk for losing very valuable resources in independent pharmacy. Yeah, absolutely. You had a big victory in Virginia, and I think the people who are listening to this podcast would appreciate knowing about what happened and how you were able to achieve that. Well, a little bit unlike Florida, um, you know, Virginia had a pretty big change, and I think that's probably what facilitated our successes. We, we did try to piecemeal a couple of items of legislation under a different um, party makeup, and it really went nowhere, and we had a lot of resistance. We had a little bit of success, but nothing like what we had this past session. And so, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, you and myself, how, how did Virginia go from uh, – a MAC pricing legislation bill to this huge, you know, licensure bill um, that originally started out as just a simple registration bill. And the simple answer is the environment was ripe and we've worked very hard to educate. And one of the things that Jackie mentioned about, you know, using the off session or using just after elections um, or even before elections to, to start educating, um, you know, even those that are running against each other is invaluable because that's kind of what we did when we found out we didn't do it prior, you know, during debates, but we did it as soon as we knew who were, who was going to take those seats. You know, we started contacting their people and we started to educate them to get a hold of them before, you know, the, the rest of the well-funded folk did and let them make their own opinions about where the really, you know, who's, who's responsible for why everybody struggles paying for meds or getting medications and, and, and why it's not the farm, you know, big pharma primarily, it's the PBMs causing prices to, to increase and access to decrease. And that's a very important step because after they've already formed those opinions, it's a lot harder to change your minds. What is PBM reform at the legislative level? What, what is going to have to happen to be able to rein in the power that is currently being flexed that keeps drug prices high and keeps people thinking that somehow, some way, it's the drug makers, it's the pharmacies, it's anybody except these invisible middlemen? Well, I used to think that it was the point where the PBM started to affect the patient's pocketbooks. And that has been somewhat of the push to talk about drug pricing reform. I think that on the national level, you typically have more of a broader type involvement in a little bit more aspects of the drug delivery and supply chain and everybody in between. So a lot gets left out of those conversations in the details. And ultimately, with patients being louder at the, the federal level, you kind of saw the conversation move to a lot of finger pointing between the PBMs and Big Pharma. But ultimately, 
as Jackie had mentioned, you know, patients just go, you know, they're copays. They are not aware of this. And, and I want to say tens of billions of dollars, not just a billion dollar industry. This is a, this is a hundred billion dollar industry where you've got these very influential, very secretive middlemen who, like she said, have nothing to do with producing, distributing, um, warehousing, uh, and ultimately the liability involved to ultimately deliver it to the patient, making huge profits off of the patients and off of you know independent pharmacies. So on the state level, reform looks more like trying to trying to refocus the 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 constituents in that legislative district to understand what a PBM is and how they go about educating with us and telling their stories because the patient stories are very important. That's what I think we, we can all agree that we ask a lot of legislators, you know, how did, how did this get to you? How did, how did you go from being a professional engineer to a, a pharmacy champion? And she had a personal experience. So one of the delegates that, that patroned uh, one of our bills, Delegate O'Quinn, he has a personal story to tell himself. So he was already very open to the idea of why, why ha what happened to him and his family and who was responsible. So that's important. And so PBM reform on the state level is doing just what they try to do in Florida, introducing, you know, a, a bill with, that covers every, at least as, as many of the egregious things that you can identify. I mean, no, no bill is going to be perfect because they're always coming up with new schemes to, to maintain their control. And they're always going to hold on to a certain portion of it based on the federal side. So to get people angry, patients paying for medications that are way too expensive, they have insurance, but they can't afford them, you know, that really starts the conversation off and gives the legislators a platform or at least the opportunity for us to step in and say, hey, it's not just the drug companies. It's these large multi-billion dollar corporations that are self-preserving and protecting their own profits. And this is who you're going to be fighting. So um, hopefully that kind of covers the big picture of it. But I think that there's, you know, PBM reform has to happen because it's, uh, I've said it before, it's not sustainable in its current form. Well, it's not. And we're talking about how PBMs make their money. If you are an average taxpayer in this country, there's a good chance you are paying three times for this. You, you pay your premiums, you know, there's a copay that you pay that very often ends up being clawed back at the pharmacy level to the PBM. And then you pay it as a taxpayer for your Medicaid coverage, for your social, the, security. your social security, for your future. And then there's this other thing, which is the state employee plan, the state retiree plan. These aren't, these are taxpayer funded plans, but they are run like private plans, which means that there's the opportunity for the kind of extortion and exploitation at that level. And we saw that happen in Illinois. So there's access for people to begin to understand maybe, you know, with at least with the employee plan at the state level, if, if not deeper in for Medicaid or Medicare. 
you know, and there's also so many avenues. Um, we've touched on it before on previous podcasts, but you know, for states that are cash strapped, that are that are all of a sudden hit with all of the costs associated with the COVID crisis, they're looking for money. There is the easiest block and chunk of money that you could possibly get right there in front of you, sitting right there. And there's examples in states that have done the Medicaid carve-outs and gotten rid of the, the, the MCO prescription drug portion who have saved tens of millions of dollars. Now, I can't even imagine what that figure would be in a state like Florida. In Virginia, it's about $100 million. In in West Virginia, it, yeah, I think that they saved by their car about fifty four million, and of course New York is following. They're going to save a couple hundred million. I can't even imagine what it would be be for for Florida. So when they're scraping and looking for, you know, money and things to cut, you know, this is a no brainer. How we get that message out? That's going to be very important because. If we're going to have the opportunity to make these big changes without spending years and years and session after session trying to educate and and get new legislators as they come in and hopefully fix it by then, we've got a great opportunity right now for us to show these legislators, here's the money. Here's a whole lot of money that you can save your state right now. So as we you know, are talking about this, I'm struck by the level of passion that you have. I know that I have, and it's easy to get really emotional and really wrapped up in this message. You know, for pharmacists uh, who are also pharmacy owners, this really is a matter of life and death for your business. You are a small business owner. You are responsible for, to taxes in your community. You contribute to the tax base. You create jobs. You care for patients. You know, this is a real living issue. And yet the problem is with the kind of passion that sometimes we bring to it, it's easy for people to, to shut down. So I'm curious, you've been really good at being able to get the message out in a way that has the passion, but also is leaves an impression and, and has people hear and understand what the problem is. I'm curious about how you develop that and, and what advice you have for people who would like to bring that level of passion, but also clarity to the people in their states who can help make a difference. Um, I, I've, I, in hindsight, because I've never, I think it's part of my personality, but I've never really planned it that way. But I think that ultimately I understand my audience and, and it depends on who I'm speaking to as to who gets the most absurd passion that I have and believe me it exists and those who get a a, a sample of the passion but in a, a rational you know emotionally intelligent way and and it just depends on your audience I mean you know if, if you've got somebody if you've got a legislator like Jason Raper you could show all the passion in the world because he shares it um, if you have somebody like Jackie you can show all your passion in the world because she shares it because she's doing the same thing you know, when she's going and negotiating or when, when Jason Raper is going and negotiating these bills, they're trying to portray themselves in an emotionally intelligent way so that you don't oversell it or so that you don't give any fodder or any ammunition to the opposition to say, well, they're just complaining and crying about it. Um, you know, there's appropriate situations where the passion needs to come out. I, I do find it hard to mute the passion in some circumstances because 
the most pharmacy owners like myself were struggling and we see it going away very quickly and we don't know how we're going to make payroll and when you start to lose your livelihood and when you start to ruin your personal relationships it's very hard to mute yourself and it's very hard to come and have a an even keeled personality or or or, or conversation when you're showing up desperate and so I just think that it really depends on the audience and it really depends on how urgent the situation is. And for a lot of us, it's very urgent. So I don't encourage everybody to mute their passion. I, I think that you need the out, but to be effective, I think that you have to pull it back a little bit, depending on who you're speaking to. How, how important do you think data is, uh, graphics, you know, so, PUT, right, your organization, my organization, puts out a lot of information. And it's always nice to see our stuff, you know, show up in someone's office. But sure. I wonder to what degree people hang back thinking, well, I, I, don't, I don't really have this data. I don't know where to get it. So I'm not going to even do anything. I guess, I'm, I guess I'm asking, how important do you think the data is? And if you didn't have it or you didn't feel like it was strong enough, you know, should someone not contact their legislator and just wait to find the information or, or what should they be doing? Well, it depends on, I mean, obviously anybody's welcome, especially members to, to, to go to our website and, you know, use our resources. The data is compiled from usually spread across different states. Um, sometimes we do some individual stuff. And uh, the thing is, is that every pharmacy owner has their access, has access to their own proof. You know, you, you have to be careful with which you share it with and who, you know, if your name is attached to it or your pharmacy is attached to it, but every single one of us has all the proof and everything, what we're saying. So if, if you're not willing to go and trust, and there's no reason you shouldn't like our resources, or if you're just a creative person and you're going to use your own data, absolutely use it because data is, data is hard to argue against. Um, not so much in our industry because it is so complicated. Um, you know, the, the PBMs and the apathetic legislators do a really good job of, uh, or uh, government officials, uh, I guess, and a good example would be in, in Florida's um, Medicaid department. They don't want to believe the Florida survey. Um, how can it be? It's so crazy. And you know what? We, that's what we're screaming about and where our passion comes from. It's happening in broad daylight. And if it's so unbelievable that you can't believe it, that's a problem. Yeah. And I would say just on top of that, that, you know, we often say, well, well ask the opposition to prove it. You know, we, we are just, yeah. we, we have our proof. I absolutely am 100% with you. I agree. We have our proof. Yeah. So you've heard me say it before, you know, why is the onus on us when we're showing up with our proof to have to fight a PBMs? Oh, well, that's just not true. And they're not providing any factual information or, or at least any completely truthful information. They, they are very good at excluding details to prove their points, but why are they not having to prove that it's not correct? You know, every one of us, and I've said this before, we are willing to open our books and be completely transparent. 
they can't just sit on that pedestal and say, oh, well, that data can't be true. It's not true. And you just have to believe us. No, you have to prove it. We've, we've shown through FOIA requests, the data literally comes from the state or from, you know, a, a, an aggregate data from the PBM or the health plan. That's their data. We just interpreted it. Or, or we hired somebody to interpret it, and we believe that those interpretations are accurate based on what we know and what we see. Do you think ultimately the states will be able to reform PBM? The Supreme Court case is going to determine a lot of it, I think. Um, I believe that we'll be able to affect quite a bit of it, but until the, the, until the feds who are usually well behind the states in reform, until they get their act together, uh, there's going to be a large percentage of most of our businesses that'll still be influenced by the PBMs the way it is. And, you know, federal agencies are, are ripe for allowing that for some reason in this industry. You don't allow it in any other industry, but this industry, it's quite okay. Yeah, I think that what will happen ultimately is we will see the states taking the lead in reforming PBMs and establishing the operating uh, laws and, and procedures for PBMs, and then we'll see the federal government follow suit because that's been the record mm -hmm. so far. Sorry, it's been the, let me say that again, it's been the pathway so far. But I appreciate your, your point of view on this. I think this has been a really good conversation and I'm you know, optimistic, as I know you are, about the opportunity for PBM reform. Is there any last advice you have for other people out there who are working on this issue on the ground in their own states? I think ultimately, because there's so many divisions in the payer model, from the state to the federal level to the commercial private side that, and I, I had this conversation with um, a benefit provider last week. The only way for PBMs to completely go away is for people to stop using their services, for businesses to stop using their services. So if anybody is you know, connected out there to a model um, and there are models, there are, are people that have identified these problems and have, have corrected them in microcosms of the country. If you want your business's bottom line to grow instead of shrink right now, you know, reach out to one of those guys, find some local employers. You're going to have to detail employers like you would a doctor's office to get new prescriptions. Instead, you're going to be detailing HR departments and CFOs to try to convince them that eliminating the PBM and using independence for that cost savings is worth their time and money. And I think that, that by taking the business away from the PBMs will be the quickest way to make them go away. Yeah, I think so too. Well, Scott, it's been a pleasure having you on the PBM Reform Podcast. Thank you so much. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. And with that, I will turn it back over to you, Todd. Whitney, thank you so much for everything that you're doing through the Pharmacy Podcast Network, covering the PBM Reform Podcast series, as well as your dedication to the network through the PuttCast. If you do haven't listened to the PuttCast, please search P-U-T-T-Cast, C-A-S-T, 
And you can find that on Apple Podcasts as well as any of your favorite podcast directories. Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, which builds more exposure for that show. And please share the PBM Reform Podcast Series as well as Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency and their publications. The messaging is important, but the action is even more important. But we won't be able to get other uh, lawmakers, state representatives, state senators, or even other pharmacists to take action if they don't have an understanding of the issue at hand. PBM Reform Podcast Series is now becoming a permanent station on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Started as a series, but now it's become so popular. If you want a state senator or state representative to be featured on this show, we ask you to reach out to us and we will do the heavy lifting. We'll get in touch with that state rep. But that would be a great way of helping us help you and your state, as well as overall PBM reform which is absolutely necessary. As always, we thank you for listening to the PBM Reform Podcast Series and the Pharmacy Podcast Network, and we'll talk with you soon.